0: Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all other lovers of the Bible. I'm Rachel Wren.
1: And I'm Tim McNinch. This week we're doing something just a little bit different. The assigned lectionary text for January 26, 2020, the third Sunday after Epiphany, is Isaiah 9, 1-4. However, we already did an episode on almost those same verses on Christmas Eve. So rather than sort of our rinse and repeat, we thought that we'd boost your incentive for preaching the Old Testament this week by giving you an episode on the psalm that's assigned for January 26th, which is Psalm 27. And here to help us think through this wonderful text is our special guest scholar this week, Dr. Kristen Wendland.
2: That's
0: right. Dr. Wendland is the Assistant Professor of Old Testament at Wartburg College. She holds a BA from Wartburg, an MDiv and MTH from Luther Seminary, where we overlapped just a little bit in our studies, and a PhD in Old Testament from Princeton Theological Seminary. Her studies focus on personification, gender, and the relationship between the divine and the human in exilic and post-exilic literature.
1: That's a mouthful.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) She's a contributor on WorkingPreacher.org and is an ordained pastor in the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. If you're interested in her work, we suggest you check out her articles on Working Preacher or her most recent one in the journal Word and World. It's called Forgetting While Remembering, the Annunciation Type Scene in Isaiah 40 to 55, and we'll put a link to that on our website. Uh, But for now, Kristen Wendland, welcome to First Reading.
2: Thank you. I'm very
0: glad to be with you today. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Now, I, I we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but uh, Kristen, you're one of the, the people at fault or to be blamed <laughs> or <laughs> for me getting into a PhD program for which I will always be grateful
2: to you. Well, I was very excited to hear that you were applying because I thought, yes, yes, yeah. this is what we need. Yes, exactly.
0: More of us out here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> someone else to share the pain. No, uh, <laughs> um, but it it is fun. It, it's really nice to have someone else in the field who really straddles that kind of church and mm-hmm. academic. Um, it's an interesting limbo space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so my first question for you is: Is what's your favorite thing about being a pastor, and maybe what's one of your least favorite things?
2: <laughs> yes. Well, I'll go with the least favorite first. It's really mundane. I don't work nights very much anymore, mm. and it's really, really nice not to go home <laughs> and go back. So that's yeah. just lovely. Um, I really miss. Um, I miss teaching, but I also miss preaching a lot. I preach periodically, but not that regular, every week with your congregation, mm-hmm. and just leading and planning worship. My students just asked me that yesterday. They oh, said, really? What do you really miss? I said, I miss planning and leading worship. Actually, oh. yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, great. Well, well, let's
0: uh, let's dive into the text. Our our text for today is Psalm twenty seven. Um, would you Would you read that out loud for us, Kristen? I'd be happy to. I'm
2: gonna read from the New Revised Standard Version. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me. Under the cover of his tent, he will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait. For the Lord.
1: Thank you.
0: You're welcome. It's funny, I never get tired of hearing Psalms read out loud.
1: (laughs) I wanted to say that um, both of you are probably more of Psalm scholars than I am. I'm like bread and butter narrative guy Mm -hmm. here. And so... I know you're probably not supposed to do this with poetry and with Psalms especially, but I always want to know, like, where does this fit historically? Like, what's the type of context where a poem like this would make sense? Maybe maybe we don't know anything, or maybe mm-hmm. we can glean a little bit. What, what's your thought about that, Kristen?
2: Well, as you said, it's often very hard with Psalms. Uh, periodically, we do get a suggested context.
1: Mm-hmm. There's
2: less of that here, but... There is a fair amount of battle and war imagery going on. So whether it's intentionally sort of a Psalm for battle or war situations, it's certainly in a context where that's a real thing, that that's an actual fear. Uh, Rachel, you do more with the Psalms, I think, than I do.
0: Uh, Yeah, I... Psalms uh, are so slippery, you know. I, I think to try to fit this anywhere is so tough. But if there's war imagery, then it could be from the period of the monarchy, you know, when they mm-hmm. were actually going to war and seeking out the deity's blessing upon it. Um, yes.
2: And temple language would suggest that. Temple as well.
0: language, too. Um, at the same time, I think one of the things that we see in the Psalms is monarchic imagery taken up in the post-exilic or the exilic period mm-hmm. and kind of reimagined or reused. So, yeah, all that all that is a very scholarly way to saying, I have no idea. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually is kind of lovely because in some ways that means it's much easier to bring it into our own world or think yeah. about different settings where it could be reimagined.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean the only clue that I would add to the conversation is that the received text does have a superscription and you know those those things are a little squirrely but it it says, you know, to or yep. for David, whether that's meant to imply that mm-hmm. this is attributed to his pen or whether that's that this is mm-hmm. kind of in the voice of a king. May again set it in a monarchic context. Or just have that sort of Mm -hmm. resonance to it which would fit with the battle imagery and sort of Mm -hmm. the voice of a a military leader here
0: possibly i'll I'll add one i'll add one more thing in there because i think this is the the figure of david in the psalms is a really fascinating figure Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of psalms which have that superscription but most of them that have that are individual psalms of lament So, so that question of what is that superscription trying to uh, lift up with David is is really a kind of a tricky one to to step into with the Psalms. Um, It's usually not a very royal Psalm when David is is ascribed to it, which is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
1: Well, maybe we can say a little bit then uh, on a more literary level of what kind of Psalm this is. I I know there are sort of categories or genre Mm -hmm. of psalms within the collection. Does this one fit into one of those categories or or is it unique in some way?
2: Uh, I would say that it doesn't fit as cleanly as some others. It's not one of your classic laments, though there are elements of a complaint or lament and there are elements um, of a psalm of confidence or hope, but it's not Uh, an easy one. And I wouldn't use it to teach someone about (laughs) types of psalms.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's
2: it's composite. And maybe that's a good place to talk a little bit about the structure too.
0: So, so Kristen, the the lectionary gives us verse one, right? And then verses four through nine, and then full stop. So in your opinion, would you preach this psalm giving the the text as it's been abstracted out? Or if you were preaching this, would you give some more verses in there? What would you prefer mm-hmm. to do?
1: And, and keep in mind, there's a right answer to this. <laughs>
0: no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: let's I ch-
2: see if I can get it correct. <laughs> had I a choice, I think I would go with reading the whole thing. I say had I a choice because I am preaching that Sunday and I'm now thinking maybe I need to talk to some people and see if I can get the whole psalm read because yeah, right. I may actually preach on the psalm. <laughs> and see if that's a possibility. I think otherwise, uh, we lose actually some of the more lament parts of it, or the parts maybe with some of the rougher Mm -hmm. edges. What about that do you think is important, keeping those in there? Well, I think sometimes um, when we leave that out of the Bible, we sort of clean up the lives Mm -hmm. of the people in the Bible to make it feel like they have these very nice, almost perfect, lovely lives, and why couldn't we have lived then and been part of? When their lives are messy too, and the Psalms is such a great place to see that, yeah, uh, and live into that. There's a lot of fear actually in this mm-hmm. Psalm language about hide me, ah, uh, in the in your shelter, or you will hide me. Don't turn away from me. Uh, suggests fear to me. And Mm. I think naming fear also in the context of of worship or preaching Mm. and sort of normalizing that it's there, not ending there, but normalizing it is also really important and to find that in the pages of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Giving words to it. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Well,
2: and it's interesting too, because it doesn't start there.
0: No. Do you want to talk a little bit about that
2: first verse and kind of where the Psalm sets us up to go almost at the beginning? Right. Well, the Lord is my light and my salvation, which just sort of hint that salvation's needed. But whom shall I, whom shall I fear? The supreme confidence that I have God, and so I have no one, nothing to be afraid. um, uh, Stronghold almost talk about God as a place, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of a physicality, nothing to fear. You know, when uh, when evildoers assail me, you get this battle imagery, and kind of this strong person who's very confident. And then later in the psalm, it sort of moves into the, but don't hide your face from me and don't turn away in anger. You know, hints that if my mother and father Hmm. forsake me or maybe have, but you're still there. So it really moves into this more tender place after starting rather confidently, Hmm. which I don't know, perhaps allows for some of that more vulnerable part to come out, at least on the hearing. If you start with some confidence Maybe you also have confidence for some of those fears and vulnerabilities.
1: To get into the weeds a little bit, I just mm-hmm. I was struck when I was reading through this in Hebrew when I got to verse two mm-hmm. and that little phrase, yes. uh, "to to eat my flesh," yes. uh, it just mm-hmm. jumped out at me because it just uh, it was a kind of weird turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like the commentators had some trouble with that too. And I wondered if you had any insight. Uh, right. We try to give a little little uh, Hebrew coaching in this. Sure. And, uh, do you have any insight into what might be going on with that particular turn of phrase?
2: I, I worked on that a little bit. And there's one sort of direction that leads toward the whole phrase, right? The devouring my flesh, which is actually, we find uh, in Daniel in some Aramaic text, and it seems to have to do with speech. I'm not sure that that's true here though, simply because there's not really other speech imagery and it's pretty clear in Daniel that there's speech Mm -hmm. going on. But that word to eat, a call, to devour, that is used fairly frequently to actually talk about battle imagery and devouring one's enemies. Mm -hmm. So it may be a little odd that they actually sense it flesh, (laughs) I think that's the part that gets me because uh-huh. often in English, this is translated just as conquered or took over or maybe consume or devour, but in more of a clear battle imagery. So I actually think that's what's going on here. I'm not quite sure what to do with the flesh, but I think it's a synonym for being in this battle.
1: Mm-hmm. huh. And so is that predator prey imagery.
0: Totally. And the enemies are so often pictured as lions, you know, yes. these prowling lions mm-hmm. in the Psalms. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I get this, this image of one of those uh, PBS nature shows of, of like a, <laughs> a leopard chasing down yes. a gazelle. And you know it's going to go and go until what happens? One of them is going to stumble and fall. And here yeah. it is. When the evil ones come to devour my flesh, it's they who will stumble and fall.
0: <laughs> That's nice. Yes. I like that.
1: All right. I'm going to claim that one.
0: Okay. You claim, you claim that one. You write that up. <laughs> I think, I think too, though, when you, when you look at the body imagery for enemies in the mm-hmm. Psalms, mm-hmm. it, it's so focuses on the mouth and the teeth and the tongue, um, mm-hmm. which I think is that devouring piece, but is also the speech of the enemies is like, it has psychosomatic effect in the Psalm. It, When the enemies slander or say things about me, the psalmist feels it everywhere in their body. Um, And I think that could actually be a place that you you hover for a little bit as a preacher and talk about the real effect (laughs) of words in our life, especially in a world that includes Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of these megaphones that, that are just proclaiming words into the world that have real effect on real bodies. Mm -hmm. How about, so all this talk about enemies, Kristen. Yeah. We talked about, we talked about opening up space in church for tenderness. We talked about opening Mm -hmm. up space in church for fear. Do we include in that opening up space in church for my enemies and, and viewing people in our lives as enemies?
2: yeah i yes i I actually want to say mm. yes simply because i think ignoring it or not even allowing conversation about that first of all doesn't work well when you're reading the bible <laughs> but also because if we're honest we have people who are enemies mm. and sometimes that's a confession right we're asked to love our enemies but even there they're assumed that they exist right mm. mm-hmm. um But sometimes, I mean, I don't always use enemy language for this, but there are people I will stand up against Mm. for the sake of what I I perceive to be good Mm. or people who I fear because Mm. I, I fear harm or that they're coming after me. And I think that enemy might be the right word there, maybe not always in the way we think about it, right? Where the enemy is the other and someone completely different and I can't ever look at them. There's a sort of this big chasm. But I also don't want to make light of the fact that people have been hurt Mm. by other people. And maybe, you know, asking to be protected from that, um, as happens in this psalm, is important. Now, the retribution is harder, (laughs) I think, but in here, there's a lot of protective language, and I think that's really important. And to ask God to be with us um, in the midst of that is really, uh, can be very strong.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems, seems like there's more uh, protection language in here than there is uh, sort of, what do we call it, imprecation or whatever.
2: Imprecatory? Imprecation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, Cursor. I think this psalm in particular is very much about that protection. I like that, and mm-hmm. I think
0: that's important. That, that made me think, too, that um, this psalm is probably heard in a different way if you're in a community that's experiencing systematic oppression or a community if you are a majority-minority community. Um, this would probably be important not to gloss over that enemy piece or maybe mm-hmm. adversary or even oppressor could be uh, right. an appropriate word to use there, too. Yes. To continue in this vein, how about the war imagery in the next verse? What do you what do, you do right. with that, especially in light of recent events?
2: Right. Well, people ask me a lot why there's so much war in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's used as a metaphor, and I think there's some metaphor going on here. And it's a metaphor because it's what people were experiencing. When it's a real fear because it's happening in your life and you know other people around you have experienced it or know what that is, you use it as a metaphor um, Mm -hmm. that it's real. But yeah, particularly now that it's on our hearts and minds right now, well, what does it feel like to be fearing war and to ask someone to conceal you and to be with you in the midst of that? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I have to admit, I've never been in war. I imagine I read that very differently than some of my colleagues who have served in battle or lived mm-hmm. through, lived in places where that type of violence and war existed.
1: And, and I'm sure that many of the preachers who are listening right mm-hmm. now have congregants who have experienced war mm-hmm. firsthand. Mm-hmm. Yes. And those would be great mm-hmm. resources for as sort of exegetical partners in trying to unpack a, a passage like this.
2: Well, And that's something to think about too right now is people may be thinking about being called up in the reserves. We don't exactly know what's going to happen, but people may have concerns about mobilization and a whole different association with that right now. So to be kind of aware of that. One of the things I'm going to... I read it, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble and the word there in Hebrew is actually "sukkah" or succoth.
1: Mm-hmm. Thinking
2: about the um, movable—if uh, you look at the—if um, you celebrate the festival of the Sukkot, right, that temporary shelter, sort of in the wilderness. Yeah. And so that takes me right to Numbers and the wilderness, and thinking about how they weren't plucked up out of the wilderness and put into safety, uh, but that the shelter was there, sort of in the midst. Um, and God being sort of in the midst with them. I think that's a really strong image uh, to think about in this psalm as it's sort of talking about fears and battles and what a shelter might look like. The shelter that's actually named, well, one is the temple, that's a little different, but the succoth is much more impermanent and sort of God in the midst and being in the midst of that. And I think that's an image uh, that I would would lift up hides me in the hiding place of his tent right that's not a fortress Mm -hmm. I like that
0: especially because I think this psalm itself as we continue through it is in the wilderness if you're taking the wilderness as Mm -hmm. kind of a a spiritual Mm -hmm. metaphor that's where this psalm is and Mm -hmm. it talks about confidence and and kind of unassailable trust and yet the image is this movable thing that like you said, doesn't pluck you out of the wilderness, but protects you while you're going through it. I think that's a great preaching image.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: By contrast, and there are some contrasts in the psalm. Yes,
2: Yes, there are.
1: The temple is really important to this poet. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, so we're looking here, particularly at verse four. And Mm -hmm. um, it's possible that this uh, shelter, uh, Zuko and uh, the tent and all of that could the imagery for the temple as well that's one yes, way to read it yes
2: that's also but in, very true. in verse
1: 4 it's explicit that he's talking mm-hmm. about the temple yeah. mm-hmm. w- what is it about the temple that is so exciting to this psalmist and how do we read that in in sort of our own time when the the temple that they were speaking about is no longer there mm-hmm.
2: a lot of times um, when i hear temple i immediately think of worship and this temple here clearly is a place of worship, uh, sacrifice, prayer, but it also has that really important symbolism of God's presence. Symbolism might even be weak there. It's almost sacramental, right? The idea that's a physical sign that God is in our midst. Even so, it holds multiple meanings. Um, so it was an economic center, right? And people had their livelihoods based on it. And we think about our buildings in the same way too, our holy spaces, lots of different roles. Uh, the temple also held the role of being a symbol of protection. So not just God's presence with us, but it had a protective function, which obviously in this battle, Saul makes sense. I can see the temple. It doesn't just mean God is with me, mm-hmm. but God might be protecting me. Uh, from some of these enemies so to you know, sort of be in the center of that uh, is another statement of confidence now to think about what we mean by that and where we might sense that protection or confidence uh, might be a little different it might not be our church building though there's a sanctuary tradition that that goes on with that that i think comes out of that but I do think that's what's happening here with the temple is there's a protective feature as well as a, I'm near God and God is near me.
1: There's something about the experience of being in that space too. In verse four there to gaze upon the Lord's beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, down in verse eight, I believe those couple places where it talks about seeking the face of God. Right. That's especially down in verse eight and following. That's where sort of the turning point structurally is in this, that, the psalm starts out with this expression of confidence and of knowing that there's a place where they can go to feel safe and secure. And when they get there and seek the face of God and have that experience, all of a sudden something shifts and there's there's a new anxiety of not wanting to be separated or shut out by that presence.
0: It is interesting, especially because the imagery becomes very intimate at that point, too. I seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Mm-hmm. You know, if my mother and father abandon me, you will take me in. If I lose all of my support structures, you will got- take me in.
1: Mm-hmm. And that, I don't, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that, that word there, yasfemi.
0: a Asaf. Yeah,
1: asaf. So that's the root. So it's, it's like pulling, that pulling Gather. and gathering in. in, gathering in. It feels almost really Aww. physical to me of being drawn yeah. close.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm having a first reading first. I just got tears in my eyes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you will gather me in.
0: Yeah. It's interesting too because from that moment, there's again another shift. Now there's a
2: request. To teach me your way. Yeah. Lead me on a level path. And I'm pausing because it's such a strange work for the sake of my, because of my enemies. I, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just if that's not
0: clear to our listeners, in the Hebrew, it's le ma'an, which most often means for the sake of, which right. is an odd thing to say here. Lead me on a level path for my enemy's sake. And so I think most translations go with just, you know, because of my enemies. But um, there's something interesting going on in the Hebrew there that Kristen's lifting up.
2: Right. Well, and really, it's those watching me, right, with a negative context but it's not the normal word for enemies either. The sharar is also kind of a, you know, because of or for the sake of those who are watching me. Oh, we're back to the National Geographic. The leopard yes. is, is in the grass. <laughs> the,
1: the JPS translation there says, because of my watchful foes. Mm. So they, yeah. they get a little of the sense of the, the watching image imagery there.
2: That's mm-hmm. a good translation there. Yeah, this is a different uh requests, right? It's not sort of the bring me in or protect me, don't hide your uh, We're We're starting to look outward a little mm-hmm. bit in this verse. Show me your way, teach me your way. And there is a tradition, I'm going back to the temple imagery a little bit, about instruction going out from Zion, that one of the functions of God is to teach not just the Israelites, but the world and the nations and that that starts at the temple in Zion. So we see this in like Isaiah and different places too. And the enemies are still there,
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: but teach me how to walk in the midst of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that there might be something to preach there on that verse about the, uh, in the context of enemies around us, Mm-hmm. That what we need is not necessarily a bigger weapon, or you know the the right zinger to spit back at the slandering foes, mm-hmm. but we need instruction from God on how to live our lives.
2: See, so there's a whole you know se- section of the Bible too that is about that. Right, the wisdom literature uses mm-hmm. these same images of teaching and way and living your life in the midst of them. What does that look like? Um, and gives some of the same advice that you're saying, that it's not all about an eye for an eye Yeah. are other ways. And actually, Rachel, there's lots of speech there. <laughs>
0: yes, there is. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the Psalms and wisdom literature kind of intertwine mm-hmm. in a lot of interesting ways. They
2: do. Um,
0: but I, I want to get back to that real quick, because I think that would be an interesting mm-hmm. sermon on prayer even, is when yes. you feel yourself... Mm-hmm. surrounded by enemies or surrounded in the wilderness. What this psalm is asking for is both kind of the protection, not necessarily to be absented out of it, right. but the protection. But then what's the other thing it asks for? It just asks for a level path through it, you know? Yeah. There, and there's something kind of interesting there of, of what mm-hmm. do we ask for in our prayer lives when we feel ourselves surrounded by turmoil?
2: Yes. Well, and if you look even at the next verse... In i mean nrsv again but do not give me up to the will of my adversaries right that i mean at, at some level it's don't let me be caught but it also mm-hmm. don't let me be like them yeah let my will not be their will
1: rachel do you have the hebrew there
2: i do verse
1: 12 yes yeah
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have a long, long-standing, ongoing deal with the word nefesh, nefesh. on this podcast. I thought podcast. you, were, yeah. you were, here I go. The
2: rest of the words look pretty innocuous there. Yeah. But nefesh. Don't, don't give me up
0: to the nefesh of my enemies. So so yeah. one of the things, we had a great conversation with Stephen mm-hmm. Reed where we kind of came to this idea of the nefesh as this really, like, greedy gulping thirsting gasping th- mortal mm. thing sure. um not this soul ethereal pure thing but like mm-hmm. it's kind of like the core of what makes you vulnerably human um, so again if we're yeah reaching for your your throat your neck yeah. yes mm-hmm. exactly Gasping. Which also mm-hmm. makes sense if you think of earlier. Don't let the enemies devour me. Yes. You know that your nefesh would be involved in that as well. So certainly. So it could be yeah. you know don't don't subject me to the will of my foes. It also could just be don't let them swallow me. Exactly. <laughs> I actually like that a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, swallowed up by
2: them. Yeah. I yeah. The Hebrew, yeah.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> that you could go a, de- a couple different ways with it. Swallowed up as in death, or just swallowed up as in completely enveloped and taken yes. over by. You know. Right. And how much in our lives tries to envelop and take us over.
2: Absolutely.
0: So let's jump at that moment then to the last verse. Because the last verse is really interesting in that there's all of this sort of discussion of what you want God to do in the midst of it. And then there's this outward turn to who Mm -hmm. we don't exactly know
2: Right. It's singular. It's one it's, person.
0: It's one person that's being talked to here, or at least, you know, that's the, the Hebrew.
2: Right. And it's this idea of, of waiting. So do you have any thoughts on that? Only that I would return back to the, the Suko imagery and then not being plucked up and taken out, but sort of waiting in the midst I sense danger. Okay, God, be me out of there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be me out, uh, God. That's <laughs> just not typically how how it works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but instead, a deeper dwelling with. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we've had some great sort of exegetical uh, ideas here as we've kind of walked through the passage. Maybe we could uh, wrap up our conversation with a little bit of specific preaching advice on this.
2: I mean, I feel like I've already given my preaching angle and have half my sermon written for yeah. Sunday. <laughs> As I'm trying, I'm going to go with fear and wilderness hmm. and thinking about that impermanent structure in the wilderness. So I think hmm. that's uh, where I'm going. And our conversation has been wonderful because I have so much to add to that.
1: Yeah. Now, <laughs> I think that
2: might be a central image for me. Uh, which right. is a little strange actually during epiphany i almost feel like i'm rushing lent a little bit uh, so <laughs> i'll have to hit the light <laughs> as well but you're good lutheran <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah the the angles that i would add uh, are ones that again we've already talked about but maybe to just consolidate them here mm-hmm. that theme of the combination of trust and anxiety in the psalm seems to be really important to me and, and it's mm-hmm. another way of saying what you already said kristen just because we're expressing trust in God doesn't mean that our anxieties are gone but that right. there's a little bit of of moving ahead taking the next step mm-hmm. with both of those in play yes yeah. and and then the yeah. other thing would be I I really loved verse 11 there that in mm-hmm. the context of watchful foes that the request the prayer that's in this psalm is a prayer for instruction for mm-hmm. for Torah for yes. uh, for God to show us what the next steps are, the the level path forward, I, I think that's a really preachable point. Rachel, what do you have?
0: I would uh, give a hearty hear here to everything you guys said, um, and I would add that again? That was great. a hearty hear here, here to everything. One more time, you just for fun. A hearty hear here You're putting this in, aren't you? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> when am I going to stop falling for that? Um, so I think the two things that stood out to me, um, both from prep work and our conversation today, was that actually that image of devouring flesh. I'm becoming more and more convinced that one of the things we need to be talking about, we talk about this often with our youth, and I'm starting to think that it needs to be something we talk about with everyone, is the real effect of our words. Because words have real effect on real bodies, and sometimes those words can actually devour flesh. That might be a sermon in part because we proclaim Jesus as the Word made flesh. This is something we take really seriously in our Christian tradition. Um, And so what is our calling from God about the way our words affect flesh in our lives and in our communities? So that would be one angle I would take. Um, And then the other angle I would take would, would honestly kind of be preaching the structure. The, the interesting thing about this week in the lectionary is um, Jesus in his opening words of ministry talks about light and talks about light falling on those who are in darkness. And then we have this psalm that opens with this image of light and then has this interplay of light and darkness throughout it. And I think with everything that we talked about today, that's a really apt metaphor for what faith life is like. And so if you, if you begin this psalm with a proclamation of light and then you follow it through, it's, it's kind of meditations on what does fear look like? It looks like wars. It looks like enemies. Where does one find light? One finds light in the temple, in the Sukkot, Um, and then what happens when that light finds us? Um, it's almost like this psalm is existential hope and the reality of existence coming closer and closer together until at the very end you get this wait.
2: I want to hear your sermon. Yeah
0: that was that that was it. Yeah.
2: That was it. That that (laughs) That was was the sermon. Thank you.
1: Well, uh, before all our listeners uh, hightail it off to Matthew 4, maybe we should stop our conversation <laughs> while we're ahead here on the first <laughs> reading. <laughs> but uh, Kristen Wendland, it's been so great to talk to you. This has been a wonderful conversation. And thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your insights with us.
2: You are welcome. I've had a wonderful, wonderful time being here with you. Oh, awesome. Well, remember, friends, if you're interested in more of Kristen's work, we'll post a link on our website,
0: firstreadingpodcast.com. You can head over there for more of our past episodes, or you can subscribe to First Reading on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix.
1: We want to give credit to Blue Dot Sessions for the music behind the reading, and we'd love to hear from you. Do you have ideas about how to make this an even better podcast, or just want to give us some feedback? You can do that also at our website via the contact tab.
0: Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren.
1: And I'm Tim McNinch. Thanks for listening, and good luck with your sermon prep.